Welcome to the One Big Idea Podcast, your guide to making it in Web3. Each week, I sit down with the brightest founders, creators, and thought leaders to unpack the lessons, strategies, and trends you need to know for venturing into the world of crypto. This episode is brought to you by Rock Radio, the world's largest decentralized media company, changing the way creators build, distribute, and own their content. To learn more about this creator's first community, visit Rug Radio at www.rug.fm. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of One Big Idea. I am joined this week by Oliver Maroney, the co-founder of Cameo Pass. Oliver, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for jumping on. We are live from London. How's your London experience been so far? It's been good. I was here a few months ago, back again. My dad's from here, so it's fun to just like come back every few years. And uh, yeah, I love it here. Yeah, it's been it's been a cool experience for me. I haven't been here since 2019, and so it's it's kind of like a bit of deja vu. But uh, last time I was here, I was staying in Shoreditch, and so everything was like very small, and I didn't leave East London, and now I'm staying in Richmond, so I'm flying all over the place. But it's been very interesting seeing the nascent nature of the NFT community in London. Do you get that vibe? Like it yes. feels very different than the events in the U.S. Yes, very different, very different. It feels. It, actually, this is this is what was told to me a few months ago when I was here, and the, somebody close to me told me uh, it feels like London is about, or like England, Europe is about like six months behind where like the U.S. is in terms of like their adoption of NFTs, yeah. you know. And so there's still like it feels like more of a buzz, more positivity than maybe uh, you'd see on like the timeline in general and stuff like that. So I, I actually like it. I think it's interesting. And there's obviously a lot of people that are very curious. And I think that's really cool. So yeah, speaking of six months, it's been about six months of Cameo Pass. And so I do yep. want to get into the history of Cameo Pass, what it is, how did it become an offshoot from Cameo and, and dive into that. But before we do, We'd love you to actually go back even further. Give us a little background on you know who you are and what you were doing prior to getting into Web three. Yeah, so a lot of people don't know. I um, I guess I'll start with uh, I I I loved basketball growing up. Uh, I was never good enough to play basketball at a high level, and so when I was in middle school, uh, I'm gonna take it way back. <laughs> but uh, when I was in middle school, uh, I covered high school basketball for the Oregonians, like the local paper. Uh, they had this little like job listing. It was $5, which was the ticket price to a high school basketball game. So I would get the $5. I would, I would actually pay the $5 and then get reimbursed once I submitted <laughs> my article to the Oregonian. It was perfect though. I loved it. Like every minute of it was amazing. And, um, what I came to realize very quickly was that I, uh, as I am today, I was just very curious in how each player's mind worked, like just, just the ins and outs of things. And it wasn't like on the court, like statistically, it was more like their families, like how they grew up, like wh wh why they're better than everybody else, basically. And um, this this was around the time that Kyle Singler, EJ Singler, Terrence Ross, Terrence Jones, Ky Kevin Love were coming up. So it was, it was probably the best time in Oregon high school basketball. I know yeah, that's seriously. It was like five NBA players within like a five year span. And so... I got the pleasure to know some of them fairly well, not like crazy close, but I got to see their family members at games and watch them play in a high school like gym. And you kind of have that 
moment where you're like, I'm seeing this before everybody else is seeing it. And so for me, it was just really cool to be able to be on the ground, be a part of it in any way I could. And like I said, I didn't need the money for it. It was just like, as a kid, I couldn't play basketball at a high level. So I'm watching the best basketball players I could. Um, didn't grow up rich. Uh, you know, both my parents uh, have continued to work and, you know, I, I didn't have much growing up. I paid for my own way to play like club soccer and I paid for a bunch of things that I did. And so um, for me, it was like just an outlet to be able to watch incredible athletes do really interesting things at a young age. And I grew into kind of covering basketball as a whole um, after high school. I started doing like, you know, one of my close friends in journalism early on, uh, Ben Golliver, who writes for the Washington Post. Uh, he used to write for Sports Illustrated. He was just like, dude, you just got to find a place to write. Like, it doesn't matter where it is. Create your own blog, like do whatever. So I created my own website and I just wrote articles. And it was just like, who's this player? This is how he grew up. This is who he is. And I was just genuinely, like I said, interested in I. I called it on my website at the time, stories deeper down the bench. And the idea was really just getting to know the player, not the stats, who cares how many blocks he had, who cares how many rebounds he had, like, why is this player so special? And it really got me to a place where I could pitch these ideas to uh, UpRocks, one of the publications I started writing for. Um, I, I initially started at a place called Daily Fantasy Cafe, which is like fantasy sports. Oh, no way. It's 25 bucks an article, I think, at the time. Like, wow. not much money uh, right out of high school. And I just covered I, – I went in-depth on every team, and then I did these player interviews. I was, like, pushing and pushing. I'm like, I can't do this statistical stuff. Like, I really don't want to push – like, the Houston Rockets were fifth in rebounds this year, and so they're going to be better this next game and yeah. X, Y, Z. And so uh, they took my pitch of like doing these like in-depth articles that could give insight into fantasy sports. That's what their whole like uh, version of it was. And so I ended up paying my own way to summer league, paying my own way to all-star games, paying my own way to NBA stuff as I grew older and um, and, and basically uh, got interviews with people that I respected. It wasn't about follower count. It wasn't about who they were, what they had done. It was more like I watched them on TV and was like, this person is interesting. I would love to know more about them. And so the first one that really like blew up at the time was an interview with Kristen Ledlow. She Mm -hmm. did NBA inside stuff. And she was kind enough at the time. I had like maybe 500 Twitter followers. I don't know, like nothing. And I tweeted at her. And this is like the power of social media, especially early on. I remember tweeting at her and just being like, man, I love inside stuff. So cool. I would love to be able to uh, write a story on you. Uh, And she responded. And then quickly after we were like direct messaging and she's like, yeah, come, come basically watch what I do uh, for three to four days at summer league. And so I literally spent an entire week covering everything she did. Shoot your shot kids. And that's it. And, 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 And then right from, so this is just like, it, it, it's kind of crazy how this all you do good stuff for good people and yeah. you genuinely care about them and you don't do it for clicks or views or anything. I was just putting out an article, put out an article. So I spent three to four days with her, wrote this big piece, probably like 4,000 words on Kristen. And, uh, I sent it to her before I sent it to my editor or anybody else. 
and she had like revisions and changed things up. And and it's like, looking back, I would have never not done that. Yeah. But most journalists most don't. would just send it straight to an editor. And I didn't even think about that at the time. But she I, she took the time to like edit out certain things, change certain things. And then I sent it to my editor, went through another round. We finally posted it. And like within two days, uh, I have like the Portland Trailblazers NBA account pulling quotes out from it. Wow. And then an NBA full circle, she goes on NBA inside stuff the next week and follows it up with like the Portland Trailblazers tweet. Like it was like clowning her. <laughs> she claimed that she could beat like uh, CJ McCollum in a round of horse. Oh, wow. Random tangent from this story that yeah. I had, right? But she pulled, they pull out this, this quote. On the context, she, I'm sure. <laughs> completely. It, it was, it was fine. It, it actually yeah. worked out great. And so she did a whole segment on her shooting horse shots on NBA Inside stuff, and then CJ McCollum joined in. And what's interesting is my relationship with CJ started basically from that point. Wow. Like, that was uh, – anyway, this is way down a rabbit hole right I, now. No, I love it. it Cause there's a lot of there's a lot of threads to pull. The reason why I wanted to spend some time on your journey into yeah. Web3 is – you know, with what you're doing now at Cameo Pass, and we'll dive into you know the relationships that you yeah. have really fostered and doing right by people, but also chasing your passion and being pretty firm in your vision. Yeah, like, it would have been easy to like capitulate, be like, "No, you want to do stats? Like, I'll go and do stats. Like, that's what you want." And I think a lot of people lose their like true north when they're trying to just make it. But you stayed very firm with what it was you were passionate about, and then you did right by people along the way. And that's how you were able to foster those relationships. So there's there's a lot of parallels I think that people can take away from one. You know, you had 500. You said you had 500 Twitter followers when you reached out to Kristen Ludlow. Like, I if you're not an NBA fan, Kristen at the time still is like a, a very pretty big broadcaster, pretty yeah. big broadcaster for sure. And it just goes to show. And I think there's again a lot of parallels to Web three. Shoot your shot. Like there yeah. are so many people out here that want to pay it forward that are looking and, and quite frankly, a lot of people like talking about themselves. So like, if you're going to give them an outlet to do that, it's, you know, it's, it's not that big of an ass. So long as you do right by people and the fact that you gave her, you know, final cut essentially, like, or at least you gave her the, the courtesy of reviewing totally. uh, before you took it to your editor, you know, speaks volumes about how you treat people in the space. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when it comes down to it. So I, I, I did move from the lead low piece to then doing a piece on CJ. Yeah. The piece of, on CJ did very well as well. And so that's when you start to get people looking at you and being like, okay, well, we would like you to do a piece on X because we've seen your work and it seems like everybody resonates with it and it's different and you get things that other people don't. And mm -hmm. that's what I started to become in the journalism world, at least in my opinion. And that's not a pat on my back or to be arrogant, but like a lot of this I'm not a great writer. <laughs> I, I enjoy writing, <laughs> yeah, I feel but same. I'm not a great writer. Yeah. Every editor that has ever worked with me will tell you I am probably one of the worst grammatical error people out there. Like I just, I, I'm not good at yeah. writing, but what I can do and what nobody else or a lot of people were not able to do is get amazing quotes mm -hmm. that really took the piece to another level. And so with an amazing editor, and writing, you know, piece after piece after piece and then building these relationships along the way, it be, it kind of becomes a juggernaut in and of itself. Like people don't see it from the outside, but I had agents, I had managers, I had people reaching out to me being like, hey, I saw you do this piece on this person. Can you do a piece on my guy? Right. And it's like, okay, 
I'll do it, you know, and, 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 and it's almost the opposite of what you were initially starting. I was like reaching out to everybody would, would love a chance to interview X, Y, Z. But then if there's like ulterior motives involved, sure. now you start to think, okay, well, where does the line? And, and I just became really friends with a lot of these guys. Yeah. Like I built relationships. CJ, I could probably text to this day and be like, Hey, how's it going? Like we've had communication. Yeah. I've done pieces, piece after piece after piece on them. Uh, you know, and so I think moving from that, uh, I ended up doing a piece on the big three, uh, Ice Cube's three and three basketball league. And, uh, it started work for them. I did like a freelance kind of role to begin with and then moved into a full-time role, uh, with them. And then, um, ultimately COVID happened and that's how I've landed at Cameo. So sorry for people out there that <laughs> I just like glossed over like seven years of my life, but that that's the story of where I am or where I was to where I am. Um, and a lot of it, as you mentioned, is just relationship building and it's not intentional relationship building. Right. I, I want to make a focus of that because everybody's like, oh, I want to build a relationship. It's like, it's I'm, not, I'm not going into any yeah. conversation being like, I'm building the best relationship I can with this person right. and it's going to work and I'm going to sell them this, that, and the other thing. Like if you went into a conversation like that, you're not coming out of it the same as if I'm just coming into it genuinely curious. Yep. And so that ultimately I think has led me to where I am and kind of like the the thing at Devin, our CTO and co-founder calls my superpower. It's like just this passion that fuels into like the relationships and things that I've like kind of nurtured and created over time. People can tell when you care. And I think a mistake a lot of people make is trying to be too prescriptive on the path. They think that they can create the perfect roadmap of getting me from point A to point B. But if you were to take just extrapolate out the timeline and you were to take point A, which is you're writing at the Oregonian, you're going, you're meeting with all these different players to you're now at Cameo Pass and you know building that out, that NFT collection, which we'll dive into. The stars don't necessarily align, but what does align is the idea of like the compounding impact of chasing your curiosity, doing right by people. And that energy just always shows through. It, to your point of like ulterior motives, it's very obvious if you're coming at it from a from a position of like pure curiosity or you're trying to get something out of it. Totally. So yeah, I, I really appreciate you taking the audience through that journey because it's something that I found really fascinating in, in diving into it, uh, especially as you know, I've been getting into content and, and seeing how you've been able to develop these relationships over time just by like doing right by people. I think it just shows in, in you know, what you've been able to accomplish. So moving into Cameo, number one, how did you get involved in Cameo? Yeah. How did you meet Devin? Um, to how did you guys decide to get into Web3? Yeah. So COVID happened mm -hmm. uh, and the big three, basically I was let go. Um, I'm not going to put it lightly. Yeah, as and, a lot of people were. And, and for those who don't know, I do have a family. I've got two kids. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm young. Yes, I married young. That's a decision I made. It's I'm okay with this decision, everyone. <laughs> I've been told a million times, like, why did you do this and that? You know, I, I make decisions based on my gut feeling. Yeah. And like you said, there is no right A to Z path. And if you have the perfect A to Z path, it, it's likely not happening the way that you think it will. And... Um, so, you know, I got laid off and uh, I'll be honest, I was offered many jobs, yeah. uh, probably three or four, and uh, I could have taken them and I was very close to. And the reason why is obviously with a family during COVID, I had just bought a, like, people need to understand. So here's the timeline. I buy a new house, 
I get laid off from big three within a month of buying the new house. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Two kids ready yeah. to go to daycare. And my my wife, who's a school teacher, uh, which is fine. That's the, There's no gripes about that. It's just put it, the asterisk next to it for the financial sense of this whole thing. A lot of responsibilities. A lot of responsibilities that are on my shoulders. And so you get these job offers and they're just not really what I was feeling. And um, I was going through the interview process with each and every one, doing my due diligence. Uh, and ultimately, uh, it was my wife that was like, I, I was a this close to taking another job at a media company, just being like an ad agent, basically, just yeah. because I was like pretty desperate at yeah. the time. Uh, it was about three months into not having a job and I'd never not had a job in my life. Um, and so for me, it was really tough, but my wife was the one who stepped in and was like, no, you're, you're going to wait this out. Like you're going to find the job that's like good for you. We'll make it through this, like, you know, things like that. And that's what you have a wife for. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing support system. So Cameo comes around. I had actually known about Cameo years prior. Yeah. Steven, their CEO, current CEO, sorry, their CEO, <laughs> uh, current CEO, uh, had actually reached out to me early on. I was one of the first people, or not one of the first, I was probably one of the first like couple thousand people to be on the Cameo app as a journalist. Yeah. And so I'd known about the app. And I think it was one of my friends that reached out and was like, hey, they're looking for a sports partnerships person. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so I waited out. The interview process was like really long. And I waited out getting a gig at Cameo because I love the idea of it. Uh, I think it's great for obviously creators and people to be able to monetize and um, some of the things that they've been able to do. And so anyways, got the job at Cameo and sports partnerships. And uh, that's when the whole NFT craze kind of happened. It's like during COVID peak end of COVID ish. Is this like 2020, like early 2020, 2020? Yeah. I, 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 timelines are kind of mixed up right now, but I think it's 2020. Yeah. April, May, somewhere in that region. Uh, I had just gotten into top shot, I think. So 2021 or, February. No, I wasn't. I, I was in, I was in the beta. So it was okay. the summer of okay, 20, got it, got it, got 2021 it. then. Yeah. I guess is what it is. Really? No, it would have been 2020. 2020 <laughs> summer of 2020. we're like time jumping all yes, over the place timeline, yeah summer, summer 2020, 2020. <laughs> my timeline is horrible i apologize for the audience but uh yeah summer of 2020 essentially is when i started getting into top shot and um that's i did the sports partnership role for about six months i got a promotion to like a talent relations manager so i managed a bunch of sports athletes on the platform mm -hmm. and um during that first phase i had talked to steven i had talked to devin our yeah. cto I had gone around and kind of like preached the the preach of Web3. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then vFriends happened. I remember this being like a big, big moment for my pitch to Cameo and kind of the conversation we would be having. When vFriends happened, that was the moment I was like, okay, Gary's doing this right away. Whether you like him, hate him, love him, whatever. Yeah. This is really interesting, uh, especially from like, one influencer essentially creating this like massive nft uh doing doing well financially obviously but also the ability with like the metadata to update with like facetime calls and some of the things that were uh, you know kind of involved that's what really like clicked in my mind started to have more conversations with devin and steven and a bunch of other people and we just started like I'd say once every two to three weeks, just having like a Zoom call, one, two, three hours, and just riffing. Yeah. And it was like, 
What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What were some of the ideas that came out of that initial Rift session? I mean, the first one that everyone thinks of is like cameos on the blockchain, like putting a cameo on the blockchain and allowing like a creator to make an extra 5, 10, 15, whatever the number is, more to put it on the blockchain and be able to have that user own that in some capacity, Mm. right? Uh, I think of like, what if... And this may be a moment that nobody really remembers, but what if like Smokey Robinson saying Hanukkah as Chinooka, which was also <laughs> on Saturday Live, that came from a cameo. Yeah. It was like this moment. And that was somebody ordering a cameo from Smokey Robinson. And mm. so if there is some sort of idea that that is valuable as a piece, like a memeable moment or whatever you want to call it, like that's an interesting concept. However, I always went back and we always went back to like, is there more here first of all and then secondarily like it's putting a lot of onus on the creators themselves Mm. like what deliverables are going to be expected of people what sort of like expectations are going to be put on like purchasing a cameo and putting do i get utility with it do i get this and so we really didn't want any of that um and that's where cameo pass kind of like came in it's like this concept uh that was solely on us to like deliver value as opposed to the creators on our platform um which is just easier said than done we we have forty thousand plus talent on the platform yeah if you scale something like that there's going to be managers agents talent angry upset happy like all it is a fascinating idea i didn't realize that you guys had explored that because it could very much be i've seen it in gaming right where like streamers for example will cut up clips and then put them on chain and people can say that like they own that clip. It's very reminiscent of of Top Shot of owning moments. And so the model definitely works. The concern was just like the amount of onus that you'd have to put on the system in order to be able to to create something like that. Well, and like Devin, our CTO, and props to him because this is something every conversation we had, do, is this a product that actually requires Web3? Mm-hmm. And that's like been the question from day one from him. People don't ask it enough. And it's like, do you really need Web3 yeah. to receive this cameo? Well, no, you don't really need it, right? Now, there's a use case out there that says your wallet is going to be there forever mm-hmm. and your Google Cloud storage or your iCloud storage or the thing like that that you're storing your your uh, cameo on isn't. So there is that like memory kind of component component or like, I get. I don't know if this is a word, but savability. Yeah. You know, for long term. You know, future. I think of it like an artifact, artifact, right? Like the yeah. idea of being able to host this moment and have it like forever. Totally. And you could almost, in the same way of like walking into a metaverse environment and seeing your like paintings, you can yeah. see like these cameos. It's a, it's an interesting concept, but I think the pushback is also fair in thinking through like what is the real utility here? Is this is this the the way to enter the space? And, totally. and obviously, you guys thought no and, and went in a different direction. Yeah, and we and we could open that can of worms up right. anytime we want. Yeah, I think it's it's just people need to understand that like when any brand enters Web three, they need to think of it authentically. Mm-hmm. They need to think how will other people react to this, and then they do need to think about like their business model and how much it changes or subtracts adds to it based on that and i think when you look at all the different ideas that was one idea we had another idea where we'd be basically like a launch pad which is kind of what we've done in a sense um but like a launch pad in a way where it's like way more cookie cutter Mm. hey allow any talent to be able to create like five nfts 10 nfts and then 
from there, it's like, hey, you own X NFT, you get 50% off a cameo, you mm-hmm. get whatever. It, however, the creator wants to do it. But once again, this all falls back on the creator. Mm. And if there's no educational piece here where we're going to the talent and being like, hey, this is what is expected of you. This is what you need to deliver upon. Then we just become another way for folks to be able to create projects that aren't delivered upon. And so we were pretty intentional and like very thoughtful, in my opinion, on like how we wanted to approach this and how we could do it uh, without impacting like our other audience, essentially, in Web 2. Yeah. So then take me to like how you guys landed on the decision of Cameo Pass and what you see as the through line that connects Cameo Pass to Cameo. Yeah. It's um, so the Cameo Pass model came about uh, after the conversations around like the creator focused focused NFT drops. Mm-hmm. And the concept really was like, well, if we don't feel totally confident that everybody on our platform could deliver upon whatever expectations are on them, we know we can do our end. We know, I like on a one-off basis, I know I could reach out to David Koechner or, you know, whoever, LeVar Ball, whatever, and get him to show up to an event or get him to do a virtual meet and greet or get him to do that. But to put all of it on them is just a tough ask. Yeah. And, you know, you don't know who's saying yes or no to these things if you make it as scalable as we thought we could make it. And so ultimately Cameo Pass was this idea that you own this membership essentially to be able to get access to celebrities very similar to what we offer in cameo it is this like very personalized and authentic you know fan interaction essentially but we just brought it in real life and made it a little bit better um and so the idea there initially was like hey you can meet celebrities hang out with them be a part of this like community that may not be fans they may just want to know more information about these folks and then also at the same time on the flip end of things you have to think that the celebrities and the folks that we invite to these events and bring out to have some genuine interest in whatever the heck is going on in web3 mm. and that to me is like it's a it's a two-piece puzzle for the way that we developed cameo pass it was for pass holders but it also was for the educational experience that we could bring to the creators on our platform. If they don't know about NFTs, now we have something to showcase to them. Mm. Now they can show up to an event and be like, wow, okay, you have these many pass holders that are there. And I've seen conversations like sparked, like we had Johnny Bananas at our LA house. Yeah. And you guys, yeah, he's kind of a funny guy. Um, and he was like giving advice on like how to do podcasts and like stuff like that. And the same thing goes for the the pass holder who's like, hey, I host a crypto podcast and this is what I do and this is... And so there's information being shared. And whether or not the celebrity takes it all to heart, that at least we've given them the opportunity and the educational experience to be like, okay, this kind of makes sense now. Like, I understand this whole community aspect. Yeah, I understand why NFTs could be something, right? And then hopefully they have a vision or an idea or a thought where they're like, hey, I want to do this now. I want to do this in this way. And so our goal, like long-term, is that it's a pipeline for the people that genuinely are interested in the space and like building something to come to us first. We may not do every one of them. We may not launch them for them. But like ultimately long-term, there's a really interesting model where we can like on a one-off basis be like, hey, 
XYZ celebrity, XYZ person wants to do this access pass that gives them whatever it may be, access to their pod. Come, come listen to our podcast every week in our studio and meet and greet with me. You know, come, whatever it may be. I, I'm not going to open or close the door to any one idea. The thought process is, hey, can we do what everybody else is doing in Web3 and coming up with these ideas and things like that and then showcasing and kind of delivering that to celebrities, talent, people that are out there? Because right now, obviously, there's not many well-known celebrity NFT drops that have fared well. Right. And part of it is because they, they're being entered through managers, through agents, through people that you know, once again, going back to ulterior motives, mm-hmm. may have another motive, including financial incentives, et cetera. And our goal is to kind of remove all that to an extent, not saying we're removing a middleman. I, I could care less. The idea is like to get the celebrity to at least see and showcase what this could look like for them. Yeah. So I guess the, the part that I'm still trying to understand is was there a community element that existed in Cameo before Cameo passed? Because to me, from the outside, it always felt like it was a marketplace. The idea it is a marketplace. You, right. So like you have these ideas and you you want someone on the other end, a celebrity, to then go and, and send you that. So how how did community become like a natural extension from a marketplace? Yeah. I think we've built the community. Mm. It wasn't necessarily there to begin with. Okay. I will tell you right now that Cameo Pass was solely intended to be a web three platform. Like it was very web three centric. Mm-hmm. You know, we brought in artists yeah. for those who don't know cameo pass was this NFT collection that we launched mm-hmm. six months plus ago. And the idea was this in real life access that we've been talking about and kind of like the different varying offerings that we can deliver on people uh, or give to people. And part of that was bringing the web three artists into this as well. And we thought it was extremely important uh, to enter as authentically as we could. And what was hot, what was interesting, what was a talking point at the time was art. And one thing I knew was following all these artists. It's like, man, I would love to see a piece from XYZ. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. We reached out to Vinny, Burnt Toast, and then also... This kind of came out of uh, left field, but I was doing tons of research on Cameo for months and months and months, like talent wise, just to see who would be a good fit for an NFT collection. And the first one was Luke McGarry, this like cartoonist and artist. He's an award winning artist, by the way. And one that uh, I felt was like very underappreciated on the Cameo app at the time, like, you know, probably had 20 or 30 bookings to his name, but like very decorated in terms of like cartooning and things like that. And so we brought these three artists in via relationships that I had kind of built up over time and new relationships to an extent as well. And um, we just wanted that to be a focal point of what we were doing and we wanted it to be web three centric. And so to your point about community, like we built this from probably the art angle more than anything else, bringing in the artists brought us a portion of their communities or people that enjoyed their artworks. And then also you have this like added little thing in there, right? Like I looked at it from the user perspective and it's like from the person minting this, okay, I'm getting a piece of burnt toast artwork. I'm getting a piece of Vinny artwork and I get access to whatever cameo is going to offer me, which 
to be honest, we've done a lot. Yeah. Um, six plus in real life events. We offered free merch right out of the gate, completely free, free shipping as well. And uh, we've done three NFT drops with artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to kind of the model that I was telling you about, we haven't found a celebrity yet, but we're not looking for them. As mm-hmm. you mentioned, like part of this whole mission for us is to never like look for something. It's like what naturally happens and organically comes in place is going to make this thrive and 10 times more successful than if we're out there looking for the next thing. And so uh, our perspective has always been, we'll grow this from the ground up based on who minted, who holds. And honestly, like our number one goal with Cameo Pass is delivering back whatever we can value wise to the community. Yeah, and it's been a really interesting six months. I'd I'd love for you to share some some lessons on. You know, we were talking prior to recording. I so I, I own two cameo passes, full disclosure, one from Vinny and one from Burnt Toast. And exactly the reason you just said, like I wanted a Vinny and I wanted a Burnt Toast, who wouldn't want that? And it was at a very accessible price compared to what you can typically get their works at. So I know a lot of people were in the same boat where the art brought them into the community and then it becomes about what makes them stay. Yeah. And what I think has been really interesting and you probably have some like lessons to share here, building and making people stay during a bear market is a very interesting challenge. But one, I think that you've tackled pretty well. Like we were chatting earlier. I haven't checked the floor price on my cameos like the entire time. And it's not just because we're friends. It's literally because you've consistently delivered value to holders. So I'd love if you could talk about that. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, you know, I look at the mint price that we minted at, and obviously we'd love to see it high. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be um, Gordon or whoever it was on the podcast and say I've never looked at the floor price. Like, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it's it's part of what keeps me up at night, sure. not going to lie. And it's part of the reason like, I'm passionate about it, right? Um, uh, and so for me, it's like, there's some learning lessons. First of all, I do think that if you can remove the floor price from those conversations or like the viewpoint from like a founder's perspective, it can be helpful. You know, it can really help you like laser focus on what you want to deliver, why you want to deliver it, the end goal. And I'll be honest with you, like the merch right out of the gate, some of the events, some of the things that we've done, like it, it's, it's not intended to raise the floor price. It's never been that way. But I do look at the floor, like we've looked at the floor price and like part of it is like, okay, does this move the needle? Does this move the needle? And that's, I think just part of like trial and error. It's all brand new space. And so that's one thing I'd say, like, if I could go back, right. Um, you know, probably looking at that less and like really caring about that a little bit less would be important. But I also think at, at the same vein, if I wasn't, then maybe maybe a lot of people would see me as impatient or like be impatient about the process, right? And so I I come from a pretty like look. I, I was in NFTs for about a year and a half. I bought and sold you know NBA Top Shot moments early on. I bought and sold NFTs early on, um, and I would call myself not really a trader, but I definitely wasn't ever like solely attached to one item, and especially if the price went to a certain number. Right. Obviously I'm in a very different situation than most people. I do have two kids and a family. Like it is important to me. Like if I paid $500 for something and it's now $10,000, I do have to like think about that. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And so from that perspective of, as a founder, I also look at that. And so that's the thing that like kind of hurts me most is like, yeah, like at the end of the day, we've delivered a ton of stuff and I feel like we've done the job the way that we're supposed to do it. Uh, and I think like in terms of web two brands entering as authentically and organically as we can, I think we've done one of the better jobs and people tell me all the time, such as yourself, like yeah. I haven't seen the floor price, I haven't seen this and that. That's great. But ultimately I think the floor price is somewhere between like 0.1 and 0.12 right now, mm-hmm. which is about half of min price. Mm-hmm. So we fared better than most projects, but we're definitely not a, a blue chip or whatever anybody else wants to call it. And it's, it's been really interesting to watch. Um, in terms of learning, like overall, man, it's trying to figure out how to meet the demands of every individual. And I think one thing I, I think back to is, and you even asked the question around like, what is Cameo Pass? I don't have a great summary for it. I'll be honest. Mm. You know, it's it, it, we're a Web two company, but we entered this very Web three centric way, and it was about the art right um and so a lot of people bought for the art and could care less about the celebrity access and so part of me is like man we should have just done full art from the beginning like maybe we shouldn't have done events maybe we should you know and so it's a learning experience of like i think launching a collection you have to be and we were but even more so i think understanding of the community you want yeah not the community that you're looking for or that you have but the one you want and i think like had i done it over right i still think i would have included the art Mm -hmm. but there definitely should have been probably some more directive in terms of the celebrity access Mm -hmm. and it should have been more on the forefront yeah um i i had a ton of people in the discord day one what's cameo yeah. Wait, hold on a second. So you bought something called Cameo Pass <laughs> and you bought it because of the artwork. That's great. But you didn't even like read the bio. You didn't even like when you went to Mint, you just and we were in a bull market. Mm-hmm. So that also is a, a product of that. But I think that portion of things, if I was ever to do this over again, it's like hammer home exactly the community we want. And we yeah. didn't know at the time. Right. You can't fully lay it out there. And I don't think any project can. I mean, you were in the Doodles Discord early. It's yeah. like a lot of people were like, why isn't this and this and that? And yeah. there's, there's always that. So part of me thinks we did the best we could. And uh, part of me is like, man, I could have done X, Y, Z to be better. And uh, I think the learning lesson overall, there's a lot of them. There's not one. But we're all learning in this space. Yeah. And I think it's important to be like, hey, yeah, I fucked up here and I fucked up there. But we also did this 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 and like i go down the list of things that we've done in six months and like i'm not comparing one project to another but i i think we've done a pretty damn good job at just delivering like you said like value in some way shape or form and whether or not every pass holder feels that way you know that that's something that i'll go to sleep every night thinking about Mm -hmm. But, well, ultimately, yeah. you know, the commu- there's so many threads to pull out there. The community itself is not uniform, right? And so one person's going to be happy, another's not. They have different incentive structures. They have different goals. They got into it for different reasons. They're still here and not here for different reasons. And so it's very challenging to be able to balance that. The one thing I'd love to, to dive into further is this idea of really focusing on the community that you want 
Yeah. An exercise that I've always tried to do that I learned when I was at Amazon is before we would do any sort of product initiative, we wrote a press release. We literally started with the end in mind before like any dev resources, anything in the project got approved. We would write a press release and the focus would be, okay, how are our consumers going to talk about this when it goes live? What are the, going to be the key things that they care about from an external perspective? And then the questions part, like the FAQs would be, what are all the things that we need to do to get done? What are the like dogs that aren't barking? The idea of like, what are the problems that we aren't talking about that we should be talking about that could bite yeah. us in the ass? So even like when I put together this podcast, I literally wrote a press release for myself that I have not shown anyone. And the idea is just, where is this going to be a year from now? Yeah. Like before I even start it, like what is important to me? What do I think the audience is going to care about? What audience am I going to try to build? Because if you try to do everything for everyone, then you ultimately do nothing for no one. Yep. And it is this delicate balance. I think a lot of projects are trying to figure out it's not absolute. Like I think we've seen some NFT projects go the length of like, well, we've got our mission and we're heads down building it and some people are going to like it some people aren't but we're just going to move that's that's us yep. yeah and then and then you've got the others that are just like whatever the community wants like we'll do and i think that's a bit it's almost like the lazy protocol model of yeah. just like we put it up there and then like the community decides it's that's not good either it the balance is like you should have a north star and also have some flexibility yeah. underneath to understand, like, be a speedboat, not a tanker. Be totally. able to move a little bit because the market moves so quickly and what people want moves a lot. And so you have to be able to, to balance both. And, and to your point, the market moves a lot and, like, everything, you know, I think that's the thing that I take away as well is, like, Devin and Cameo were, you know, and just our team. Our team is small. Like, for people who don't understand, we have, like, four people on our team basically yeah, yeah i don't think and, many people i think people would imagine that you have a massive team and, well and we have the resources of cameo right yeah. we can always reach out to another engineer or another you know graphic designer or whatever for help but we tend to like stick in our pod do what we can and i i pride ourselves on that it's like part of the reason we can move very quickly and pivot and like most web2 companies would not be able to do that right and so our whole focus point from the beginning has been like okay we're gonna let this ride going to see how people vibe with this every announcement we do we look at like kind of the reactions and yeah. kind of the things that come with it and like one of the first things we heard was around like when when pfp <laughs> it's like well we're not going to do a pfp until we have the the reason to do one mm -hmm. and even six months ago i would have told you there's way too many out there and i i'm not going to try and compete with anybody else my whole goal has always been to like how can we do this collaboratively like there's got to be a world in which you can own a doodle and you can own a board ape and you can own all these items and you don't have to like fight with each community or like figure out which one's better than the other. And so that's, that's kind of what we did with like pastronauts and some of the things around that. But like, so let's dive into yeah. pastronauts. That was a perfect softball. Thank yeah. you. I'll try to hit it for you. Yeah. So I love what you guys are trying to do there. If you could give a brief overview of what pastronauts totally. are and, and how it differs from traditional like PFP projects. Totally. Yeah. So the idea of pastronauts is very simple at the core. Uh, the idea that you don't have to represent yourself as just one sole digital identity at any one time. So think about, I own a doodle and a moonbird and a board ape. And yet, you know, right now online, I'm known for just the board ape because that's the one I'm using as my PFP because that's the most valuable. Yet I have these other communities that I really want to rep. There's no real way to do it right now. And I think it's important that like, every community could be represented if they wanted to be. And so 
the idea of pastronauts so pastronauts was like a joke in our discord very early on somebody was like we're going to the moon or something like that it was like the floor price was pumping yeah. and all this other stuff and somebody i don't remember when this was but very early on said pastronauts a few times and it kind of caught on and i ended up uh devin and i were like what if we brought this to real life what if we brought this pastronaut so we bought we bought like an actual astronaut suit with like a helmet we had Vinny design the helmet he like drew on it when we were in miami for our uh, yeah. f1 and uh so every event we've done we've had this like mascot of the pastronaut and he has these patches every pat every astronaut astronaut whatever it is has patches and so we came up with this concept that will allow you to essentially connect your ethereum wallet it'll showcase all the nfts you hold you'll be able to basically drag and drop any of the nfts in the form of a patch on your pastronaut and so that's our pfp and the model like i said is very simple it's just the idea that you can represent many different digital identities on one image and so you can showcase that wherever you want to uh, hopefully in the future, there's, you know, a wearable aspect, there's a gaming component, the idea that we can basically take this IP or you can as the owner of it and do it, use it in a number of different ways. And we view it as a product, like it should be available to anyone. Yeah. That's our goal. And so, uh, yeah, we, we're happy and excited to announce that we'll be launching that on a, a layer two platform. Um, so it'll be gasless. It'll be uh, a little bit quicker to transact with and we think that will definitely make a difference. And obviously price-wise, we want to keep it as low as possible. And so that's that's part of our goal with it is just to make it as accessible as possible, make it somewhat mainstream in the sense that everybody can have one and you can drag and drop them whenever you want, customize it. And um, yeah, we're hoping to launch that by the end of this year. That's exciting. I know this year is not a lot of time. No. So yeah, be on, be on the lookout for an announcement. I'd love to continue going on this topic because I've been so fascinated by how people choose to display their identity online. And to your point, particularly on Twitter, you have a binary option, right? It is pick your PFP and put it up there. And there have been some exceptions to the rule. We've mentioned Vinny a couple of times, obviously with his letters, we talked about this on the episode with Toby, but there was this big movement of the letters being behind people's PFPs and it was a way of showing additional identity, which like absolutely took the NFT world by storm when it, when it happened. And so I've, I've always appreciated that there's like this element of, keeping one thing, like keeping the main thing, the main thing, keeping the pastronaut itself static, and then being able to like shape shift your identity. It's very reminiscent, honestly, of what Reddit is doing with their avatars. Like you have your snoo and you can completely change and customize that snoo, but it's still snoo. Um, And it's taken, you know, it's been a massive success by, by all, all measures. So yeah, it's, it's exciting to see it's, it's this constant debate. I'm curious what your opinions are on it because you hear people constantly say on Twitter, if you spend enough time on crypto Twitter, it's like never change your PFP. Yeah. Like that's your brand. Never change it. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily uh, agree with that. I'm curious what, what your thoughts are. I, I, it's funny cause the people who probably say that are also the ones who will be minting the next collection and being like, aha, I got one before you did mm-hmm. and I'm going to show it on my, you know, Twitter. But I, I think like, it's not, it, ultimately it's not, y- you create the identity. In my opinion, like you're the personality behind it. You're the person writing the, the text as everybody knows. I know this sounds very basic and simple, but it's true. Like 
the people who follow you aren't going to unfollow you just because you change your board ape from a board ape to something else, but it does represent you online. And I think, so to that point, it should be something that can be changed, uh, modified in any way that you want it to be. And, um, ultimately like you mentioned the Reddit thing. I mean, we've had this pastronauts idea for months and we put it out there, uh, probably three months ago. And, um, that was before the Reddit craze happened. Mm-hmm. Not to say that we were before Reddit. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, very two. Oliver things. says Cameo <laughs> Pass was before Reddit. You got to hear first. That's the headline. That's right the headline. There. Done. Uh, but I think it's a more Web3 Reddit, right? Mm-hmm. I, that's kind of how I look at this. And our goal really is to like onboard as many people to Web3 as we possibly can with this as well. And so you can think about it like, what if you could have a piece of merch on your pastronaut with your PFPs potentially on it. Mm-hmm. What if you could have somebody design your helmet differently and attach that to your pastronaut along with the PFPs there is it? So to me, it's like, let's start with the PFPs and being able to attach them and then being able to integrate some other features that maybe haven't been done to onboard Web2 users. And part of the reason, part, part of what we're trying to do here is um, we have an upcoming art, art drop with about 20 different artists from the space and the idea is like, if you, you know, maybe didn't own an NFT before, we could maybe do a season two and a season three and a season four of art drops where you collect something of an artist that you love and you can now attach that to your pastronaut. Yeah. And that's your version of your PFP, at least as a newcomer coming into the space. And you have something unique. It feels exclusive. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I constantly go back and forth. It's like, I change my PFP all the time. Yeah. It's my real person right now kind of like you um but ultimately i think like the person behind the twitter profile or the social media account it you could change it to whatever and people are either going to follow you or unfollow you not based on the profile picture but more so on the content that you're putting out yeah no i I agree and i do think that there is like there's a middle ground, right? I've, I've seen like Matt Medved, for example, will change his profile pic, but he'll always keep the red background. And so his symbol, kind of similar to Andrew sometimes, like yeah. he's kept it like blue for the most part, that cool cap blue. I think that is a, that a good, is a good idea when you're thinking about branding. And why I like the Pastronaut is because like you still have the like Pastronaut itself and you're yeah. just changing the patches. I'm curious how you think about distribution of identity. The reason that I think Reddit worked so well is because it was so it like it had the distribution platform right it was so innately tied to the social product and often a lot of web3 like pfps are relegated to twitter yeah how do you think about the importance of distribution on and off of twitter yeah and that's why we decided to go layer two yeah quite frankly like part of part of the big reason behind the layer two approach to this uh, for those who don't know layer two is just built off of it it's it's the secondary layer on Ethereum, uh, which allows you to basically transact like gasless or close to free. Um, Most transactions are quicker, but also the layer two that we picked uh, is very much into the gaming scene and very much into, you know, moving the needle there. And so for us, it's like, there's this really intriguing concept of not only could you do this on Twitter, like in five, 10, 15 years, I truly believe that Web3 will have games that people will play, whether they're Web3 native or not. Mm-hmm. And if that is to be the case, 
And if you are going to be in some form of a metaverse, I hate the word. I don't like talking about this very often. But if there is going to be that, and we truly believe that all of these things move in that direction, then having a PFP that can move with you to all of these different places makes a lot of sense. And so that's like part of the play with Pasternauts and part of our thought process behind um, launching on a layer two is because there's this um, value that we believe isn't necessarily there today uh, with mainnet. And I think that there's definitely some things we can do there and partnerships to extend things of that nature where, you know, you could play with your PFP in the game and then you could also wear it as your Twitter profile. And that to me, like you're talking about, like moving into all these different areas and not just, you know, containing it to Twitter is where I think you start to unlock a lot of stuff and, and be able to, you know, hopefully have, you know, tens of thousands of people repping these, whether it's on Twitter or on Instagram or if it's in a game or if it's their YouTube channel. I mean, like we haven't really even touched on it, but I think that there's definitely a model, you know, Cameo has animated characters currently. We have like true from the Netflix series. We have some other characters like that. And there's a really interesting dynamic where, Hey, if you're like, you're, you have a personality and you've got your bored ape or whatever, like putting that personality on cameo and being bookable. Like we had uh, Adam Draper. That was the first ever board ape on cameo. And so he wow. uses his board ape as a cameo. He's done like probably a couple hundred of these now. No way. And so, yeah, the concept is really simple. It's yeah. like you own this IP. Now you can leverage it and use it in a way where you can create your own personality with it. Yeah. It's not Adam necessarily Adam. Uh, and he can give you the, the full insight and I don't want to speak for him, but the idea of his board ape on cameo is to like give crypto advice and knowledge through his lens as like a VC. And so it's a really interesting concept of like, Hey, I want to book this board ape and I'm going to ask him about, you know, what he thinks the next two years in crypto looks like. And now he's created his own personality around his ape. That's completely different from Adam, the human being. And that to me is like, okay, we're getting somewhere with this where now an animated character that you own is more valuable than you yourself in some way. Right. Yeah. Um, And so that's, I think the future. uh, And I think we'll see more of them on, not only on cameo, but just abroad. As you saw dead fellas doing the whole integration there, very similar. Like if you have a personality and people like you and you've got something to that, it's just like any animated character that you see in a series. Like I would love as a kid to be able to, purchase a rocket power animated character, you know, cameo. And the same could be said for a kid that's four years old today wanting to get a cool cat cameo. Yeah. So. No, I agree. And, and you also think about what impact that'll have on the creator economy as a whole, right? Because you have so many people be look, being a creator and actually like putting yourself out there is a very vulnerable thing to do. And if you're able to actually hide behind a character or for whatever reason, you want to stay anonymous, a variety of different reasons that you would do it. I think that just lends itself to allowing more people to participate for us to get more perspectives of people that otherwise would, would be on the sidelines. And yeah, the, it's been pretty wild to watch the development in like AR lenses. And I, I will jump on like Google meets and have be speaking to someone who's sitting behind their noun. And uh, it's, it's really cool. Well, uh, I know we're, we're coming up on time before I let you go. We, ask everyone what their one big idea is from the show. So if you had one thing that you wanted the audience to take away from this, what would it be? 
Oh man, uh, it would be uh, be authentic uh, or authenticity, I guess. If it was one big idea or word, just like being authentic. Generally speaking, we talk about relationships yeah. and like how they're built. And ultimately, I truly believe that it's about like being curious, being open-minded, caring about the individual, and being like who you are. Right? Uh, don't fanboy out over somebody. Don't like. You know, that, that that I think is the beauty of it is if you genuinely care and have a passion for something, it, as you mentioned, it shows. And so I think being authentic is all a part of that equation and people see right into it and know like you genuinely are there for the right reasons. And that's when you get like, if we're sitting on this podcast, you're getting something from me that I would normally not give because of the way that you're interviewing, right? The way that you've done your research, the way you know me, there's a relationship there. And so I think it's important to take that and glean what you can if you're an audience member and do the same like what 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 authentic qualities do you have care about the other individual um and yeah great well oliver i can't thank you enough for joining us this week means a lot uh looking forward to all the things coming from cameo pass through the end of this year and into next and yeah thank you everyone for joining we'll see you next time Thanks for listening to this week's edition of One Big Idea. As a thank you, head to onebigidea.xyz to claim your free OG status NFT. I'll be closing off minting after this initial run of episodes, so be sure to grab yours before they are gone. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.